When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Happy Monday, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Monday afternoon following day five of Patriots training camp. And this is the last practice of training camp, Alex, at least uh, for a while without pads. So the last kind of non-padded, no contact tomorrow, uh, things will really, really ramp up. And I think both of us expect the Patriots to hit the ground running after such a delayed start to padded practices. I don't anticipate Bill Belichick is going to waste much time getting the pads on and getting the contact and getting the competition part of training camp going. But we did learn some things, I would say, on Monday and some different things on Monday after the day off. And we came back and after Bill Belichick said on Saturday morning that Cam Newton was his starting quarterback, at least in terms of snaps with the presumptive starters are the guys that we project to be the starters. It did feel like out there today a little bit more Cam heavy in that respect or or maybe it looked a little bit more like Cam was the starting quarterback and we weren't splitting reps between the two guys with the starters. It's funny how on the first day of camp that Mac Jones threw more attempts than Cam Newton was kind of the day that we're all walking away and saying, okay, they're starting to angle Cam Newton as the week one starter. But that's the way it happened. And that's part of the reason they did what they did. And, and part of the reason they're reshuffling the alignments like this is if you have Cam Newton and Mac Jones working with the same group, and let's forget what, what group it is for a second. If you have Cam Newton and Mac Jones working with the same group, Neither guy can take more than 50% of the snaps with that group. Let's say that group takes 50 snaps during practice. Neither guy can take more than 25. Now, if you have Cam Newton with Hoyer and Mac Jones with Dogala, now each of those guys can take 75%, 80%, whatever it may be of of their respective group. And especially for Mac Jones, it's all about reps. He's young. He just needs the reps. He needs the experience. So it opens up more opportunities for him. Now we can bring back in the groups. And again, we were talking about Cam working with the presumptive starters. Well, okay, he's going to get a chance to build a chemistry with some of these guys, maybe more so than Mac Jones. Although there were guys in Mac Jones group, I think, who have a good chance to make the team. Yeah. You know, this is where you start to see, okay, Cam's going to be the guy in week one because he's going to be the one working with some of these presumptive starters and they're going to have the chemistry and they're going to hit the ground rolling. But I think anything that gets Mac Jones more snaps, regardless of who he's working with, is a good thing for his development. So this seems like the right call. Right. And I I think you just hit it there because at one point in practice, Mac Jones got 16 consecutive reps, right? 16 snaps with all sorts of uh, different players, right? Starters, backup guys, guys that are fringe roster players uh, and everything in between 16 straight. So in terms of volume, Mac threw the ball 28 times at practice on Monday and Cam threw the ball 21 times at practice on Monday. There was just times where it felt like what it feels like when you have a solidified starter versus a solidified backup, right? And and we hadn't really felt that. I didn't feel like the first four practices, it definitely felt like what it did last year at times during training camp between Cam and Stidham and even Hoyer at the beginning as more of a, competition right as more of a clear competition I, I it does feel like the day off they might have reset some things and realized okay if we continue down this path like you said then each guy is getting hurt by this because they're not getting just raw volume reps right they're not right. they're not getting the sheer number now we come out here today both guys throw the ball 20 plus times both guys are under center for a bunch of snaps and it kind of divvies it out a little bit more even now we can't really make any proclamations. I I don't think it's fair to call it for Cam, even though I think we're pretty much there, both of us, with Cam at least being the week one starter. 
until we get into padded practices, joint practices, preseason games, things like that. That's going to be the clear cut winner of this job once we get to that point. But what did we see from Cam today? What have we seen from Cam that we've talked about multiple times, I guess, now? But was there anything from Cam today that felt uh, – do you feel like he is improving? You know, Do you see steady improvement every single day? Yeah, it's funny. I, I thought he was. I don't know that he took a step back today. I wouldn't say that. I don't think he was worse today. But uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it felt like he was better each day. And yeah. today sort of keeps, seems stagnant. Now, that's not a knock. Not everybody gets progressively better every day. I mean, that's the dream scenario, but it's unrealistic. So, you know, he was going to have a stagnant day. Today just happened to be it. Um, overall, we've talked about it. I think his ball placement's been much better. I think he's been much better on some of the the timing patterns, and those two things go hand in hand. But, you know, throwing the ball before guys get out of their break and putting it where it needs to be, I think we've seen a lot more of that from him in these few practices than we did last year. So, you know, I, I can't point to something today and say, well, that was a jump, but it's been a, a steady improvement over the first five days of camp over this pre padded, uh, you know, part of camp. And as Bill will say, this is the teaching period and the teaching period comes to an end. And he called, what did he call the padded practices? I actually have it right here. Something like a real football environment. Yeah. Real football. Like um, yeah. real football type conditions was his quote this morning. We'll be playing. Right. We'll get used to playing in more real football type conditions. So this is when we'll really see tomorrow, how some of that Cam Newton stuff translates once, you know, corners can jam his wide receivers, linebackers can jam the tight ends and upset that timing a little more. But, you know, he put down a good base. He put down a good base over these last couple of days. He did, I think everything that y- you hoped he would do. And we'll see where he goes from there. Right. And a lot of people, I think, assume that quarterbacks, things don't really change for them when the pads go on because they're still not getting hit in practice. But the speed of the game around them really accelerates once you get the pads on and the physicality for the receivers and the windows for the receivers. And now you got safeties coming down on you and you got windows closing faster and everybody else is moving a lot quicker. So even though the quarterbacks are still in the red non-contact jerseys and they're not getting hit, we really are going to learn everything that there is to learn once we get to that point. Now with Cam, today, I thought that today was one of his lesser days, certainly, but not not a day where I'm sitting here saying, oh, no, like they can't start this guy. But he did make one throw to Jacoby Myers, and I wanted to talk about Jacoby Myers here in, in a little bit as well. On that slant route, Jalen Mills in coverage, Jacoby Myers inside the formation. He runs a quick slant to get open on the goal line, and it was a throw that led him into the end zone. He found the matchup. It was an on-time throw, and all those things point to me of Cam being much more in rhythm, uh, on schedule, just kind of understanding where he's going with the football pre-snap. All those are good things if you're Patriots, uh, if you're the Patriots when it comes to Cam Newton, that he is able to be more of an on-script thrower in this season and not holding the ball quite as much. I thought he did hold it a little bit on that seam route that he missed Johnny Smith on. Johnny uh, was was pretty open, and Cam started on the front side, and it was backside, so I guess getting over there is a little bit difficult. But if he had seen it earlier, I think he would have made the throw and got it on Johnny. but instead he did throw it a little bit high, and it sailed over Johnny's head. So maybe some holding the ball and maybe a little bit of, of a tendency there that he still has to iron out of being able to get through the full progression, but all in all, just a much better on script passer now. And I think that that's definitely leading to better accuracy and timing down the field. And we talk so much about ball placement accuracy as if it's like always physical, right? It's always yeah. a physical kind of metric or a physical kind of thing. But a lot of the time it's also mental. It's, knowing where you're supposed to go. It's knowing where you're supposed to go and go getting there on time. You know, if you're a little half a beat too early or half a beat too late to a throw, that can often impact what we perceive as accuracy or ball placement just as much as actually being able to put the ball in the right place. And I think, you know, as you look at it, these unpadded practices where everything's sort of in walkthrough mode probably lean more towards Mac Jones' skill set than Cam Newton's. Yeah. Cam Newton's strength is improvising, right? And you mentioned him being on schedule, and I think for him to succeed specifically in the setting that we've been in, where, you know, there's been a couple times where he's tucked and ran, but 
for the most part, he's had to stay on script. He doesn't have that opportunity to improvise because it's not a live pass rush. And him succeeding in that setting, it, it speaks a lot to the things that he said when, when we talked to him during the offseason. He said, this is what I want to work on. This is what I want to improve on. This is what I wasn't good enough at last year. It feels like he's you know, followed up on some of that and, and gotten better at the things he said he was going to focus on getting better at. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move over to Mac Jones and just discuss his performance today because even though we did, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it felt like Cam was sort of the, the leading man out there today, right? It felt a little bit more in that sort of vein, but Mac still threw 28 passes. He's 21 for 28 in team drills. He got 16 straight reps at one point, and he was very, very good in this practice. Now, some of his throws were against the backup defense or the scout team defense and not against the starting defense, but the big highlight of the day was the deep post Isaiah Zuber over D-Virgin and D'Angelo Ross, not two guys that are probably going to make this team playing cornerback or defensive back on that play, but the ball placement and the way that he fitted in between both guys and led Zuber into the end zone was really, really impressive. Uh, We can talk about that throw. I thought that there was a lot of throws where I really liked in terms of the quick game, and I wanted to bring that up as well, but the throw to Zuber was probably uh, the throw that Cam had to Nelson Aguilar was that day four I think it was that was a great deep ball too but but both of the that was right up there in terms of best downfield throws from Mac Jones so far yeah it was a really nice catch from Isaiah Zuber too I thought it was one of those situations where it's a great throw and a great catch by the receiver because the receiver has to adjust to that ball Zuber had to make a play on the ball and a lot of the times you think of you know a wide receiver making adjustment as oh it was a bad throw from the quarterback that's not always the case I mean you know, the entire, and this wasn't a back shoulder throw, but the entire concept of the back shoulder fade is predicated on both the quarterback makes a great throw and the wide receiver makes an adjustment on the football there. So that's kind of what it was. Zuber goes up, he grabs the ball. He takes contact from two guys before heading to the ground. And that looked, that looked like Mac Jones from Alabama where, you know, is he going to fit the football in a needle sized hole between two defenders where the wide receiver can catch it without breaking a sweat? No. Is he going to put the ball in the exact spot where his receiver and only his receiver can make a play on it away from the defensive backs? Yes, that's his specialty. Now, people are going to say the Patriots don't have the kind of receivers that can go up and make those plays. Maybe they don't. You'd like to think Mac Jones is going to be here for more than just this year, and they can eventually add to it. But we know Jacoby Myers is a good hands catcher. We know Kendrick Bourne's a good hands catcher. Yeah. Uh, we know Hunter Henry's a good hands catcher. So that's the kind of throw where. Okay, you know, you talked about it, what did we talk yesterday, right, where why did the Patriots take Mac Jones in the first round? That throw. That is a first-round throw, and he can make it on a consistent enough basis where you can make it a core part of your offense. So that throw was really exciting to see. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that stands out about Mac at Alabama, everybody talks about arm strength, right, when it comes to the deep ball, but timing and then also reading the safety rotation is also a big part of it. And when he made that throw, and he actually made a throw earlier against Nelson uh, to Christian Wilkerson, I think it was on day two or day three, where he made a really nice read of the rotation on the back end. And uh, the one to Zuber, I thought, was another one of those examples where it was a split safety look, and he sort of read that Zuber was going to be able to split the, the two deep safeties and get in between there and he made the, the throw and he kind of read that rotation correctly if you will and those are the types of things that you look for with the deep ball are not just can he throw it 75 yards in the air but also timing and then if you can read the deep part of the field and read that safety rotation and, and Mac definitely did on those two things the other thing that I think really favors Mac in this conversation and sort of has since we started watching these practices is Josh McDaniels is quick game and, and we know McDaniels loves the quick game right three-step dropping out right they, they yep. lived on that for a long long time and today at practice, there were definitely instances where Mac is throwing off leverage. And, and what I mean by that is the defender, if he has inside leverage or outside leverage, inside leverage, the receiver is going to break out. Outside leverage, the receiver is going to break in. And it's on the receiver and the quarterback to sort of figure that out on the fly, right, and, and be on the same page. And he hit uh, actually uh, David Wells, uh, not the pitcher, the, the tight end, uh, on one of those. And he also hit Trey Nixon a couple of times, which I thought was notable. They seemed to sort of have a little bit of a rhythm together, two rookies there. And he hit 
um, on those little option routes in the inside, basing it off the leverage of the defender. And when I watch that, I say, okay, that's that's the Patriot offense. That's Josh McDaniels' offense. That's what they love to run is that that quick game and, and those quick passes over the middle. So I think what we're seeing, and we said it yesterday in sort of the, the week one recap show that we did, is that they're they're in a decent spot right now. Right where they have right. Cam, who's not playing poorly, he's playing pretty well. He's the incumbent starter. He can start games for now, and you have Mac Jones waiting in the wings and developing alongside Cam Newton. And, and eventually, it's going to be Mac's job. It doesn't have to happen right away. And I think the Patriots can win games with both quarterbacks. I, I really do. So they're going to look different. It's going to they're going to call things differently. They're going to look a little bit different offensively, depending on who's under center. But it, it's their quarterback situation looks a lot better than it did this time last year, right? Because Cam's playing a right. lot better than he was last year, and Mac is now in the building. So I, I think if you're a Patriots fan out there, you got to feel optimistic about the plan here of Cam as the bridge, and then eventually Mac is going to take over. And again, you see a lot of these throws out there at practice of Mac just making Patriot-like throws all over the field, right? Getting the ball out right. quickly, hit the top of the drop and make a decision and throw the football. I'll, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning of the draft or, or before the draft, before free agency, really. The bridge guy was inconsequential to me. Yeah. The goal this offseason needed to be to figure out the long-term plan at quarterback. They did that. Anything the bridge guy gives you is gravy. And I almost wonder if that helps Cam. I wonder if Cam, you know, last year, I think there was a lot of attention being paid to the fact that he was playing for his NFL future. And, I'm not saying that's not true this year, but I don't know. Maybe just being around a young guy like, like Mac. And he's talked about the relationship between him and Mac and he's been a first round pick and he knows what it's like. I wonder if that's just sort of reset his perspective on things. Cause that's kind of what it feels like. He just looks looser. And I know we think of cam as a guy who's always loose and having fun and dancing during stretching and, and whatever. And he is, but Maybe loose isn't the word. He just seems more comfortable. He just seems more, you know, he seems more like himself, like more authentically himself. Like he's not pressing. And that I think is, is leading to him playing better too. Yeah, just really quickly, I saw in the chat, I am not hyping up David Wells and Trey Nixon, maybe a little bit of a Trey Nixon. The point was more about Mac Jones and the decision-making that he was making and not necessarily the guys that he was throwing to. But anyways, I, I, before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, I do want to bring up a couple of these wide receivers that have made some progress here and are starting to turn some heads. Uh, and we can kind of talk about this. We I think we made that graphic and um, was Isaiah Zuber. Who is this? Is Zuber versus Nixon, right? Yeah. And now it doesn't it either. It, it definitely <laughs> it feels like it's either. been neither. And if it was anybody versus anybody, Christian Wilkerson has to be on that graphic. Yeah. So not only is Christian Wilkerson – taking snaps with other projected starters or other projected players that are going to make the team. And he's not over on the other field with the scout team guys, right? He He's right in the middle of things on top of that. He's looking pretty darn good out there. He absolutely torched Jalen Mills on a route uh, on the right sideline early in practice. We can get into some Jalen Mills conversation later, but Christian Wilkerson has looked extremely good. I, I think at this point, if it continues to go this direction, it might not even be a conversation of is Christian Wilkerson going to be on the 53, but what's his role going to be? And is he going to have a role on game day? And and it seems like it. I wrote about this this morning for 985thesportsub.com. You can check it out there where Wilker and, and Phil Perry pointed out on, on the podcast I do on 98.5 that, yeah. you know, if you watch which guys they're giving the special team opportunities, that's a great indication for the bubble guys. And at one point, during team or sorry, during positional drills, Christian Wilkerson wasn't working with the receivers. He was working with Matthew Slater, Justin Bethel. And I forget if the third player was Brandon King or D virgin, but he's with like a special teams group. And I tweeted a picture of it. Matthew Slater and Justin Bethel are hands on with him. I mean, they are walking him through literally step-by-step of the release on a punt. And that tells me they, they have a plan for this guy because he, he doesn't just get to say, okay, bye wide receivers. You do your drill. I'm going to work with Slater. Like that comes from the coaching staff. So right. if they are going to let him kind of separate from the team drills, then 
that, again, that means they have a plan for him. There's a quote from him last year, and we haven't gotten to talk to him this year yet, unfortunately, because I would like to. But there's a quote from him last year when he was in camp with the Titans where he talked to Justin Mello of, I don't know, whatever the SB Nation. Music City Miracles. Mu- Music City Miracles. Thank you. Yeah. And he says something like, I, lo- I want to play all four special teams units. I played special teams in college. It's what I want to do. I know that's how I get on the roster. So here's a guy who's ready to embrace special teams, is embracing special teams, and you're seeing him rewarded because he's getting quality snaps on offense. You mentioned the, the question doesn't become, will he make the roster, but what's his role? Right. Early on, the question is kind of, okay, well, is he going to be the fourth receiver? You look at him and Gunner. They're, if they both make the team, it's both primarily on special teams, but one of those guys likely has to be the fourth receiver. I don't think they're keeping six guys at that position. I don't think they're keeping that top three of Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers. And then we'll just say Nikhil Harry or whoever, maybe they sign somebody and then Gunner and then Wilkerson. Right. That, and then you're keeping three tight ends and maybe four. And now you're at 10 pass catchers. They're not doing that. It's too many. So, you know, it really seems like he's using, he's used special teams to open the door here. And then whatever he does offensively, once the pads come on, he can kick the door down. But I don't know that any player maybe one guy in Raekwon McMillan who had two more pass breaks up today. Yeah. Outside of that, I don't know that any player on the bubble has done more to position himself through this first period of practice for a roster spot better than Christian Wilkerson. I agree with that. He's, he's really been extremely impressive. He runs very dynamic routes, right? You see the speed off the line of scrimmage, the separation ability at the top of the route, the foot quickness, the burst, you see those types of things about his game. And this year we actually get to compare him to other receivers that are pretty good, right? We're not talking about comparing him to the Demir birds and, and those types of players. I, I keep on picking on Demir. Bird. I know, we're so mean to Demir bird. And like, he was a I good know. player. He was a nice guy. I feel bad. Yeah. I feel bad too. I'm trying to think of an, I'll try to think of another example to, to, to say that with, but the point is, is that he's not, he, we're watching him against guys like Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. We're watching him up against the Patriots starting secondary for, for uh, periods of time. And he's hanging, holding his own on all these things. And that is really, I think, very impressive. And like I said, he runs very, very good routes. He's got explosive route ability. And he also has the ability to play in the kicking game. And if you're going to be wide receiver four, or wide receiver five on the depth chart. We know Gunner is going to return kicks. You must have a role in the kicking game, or you're yeah. not. You're probably not going to make the team, and you're definitely not going to be active on game day if you're on the fifty-three and you don't have a role on special teams, and you're a wide receiver four or a wide receiver five. So the fact that he's repping with the special teamers, the fact that he's playing with guys that are going to be here and are going to be regular figures on the offense, a lot of arrows pointing towards Christian Wilkerson. And I I mentioned in my notebook that when I spoke to people that were sort of in those uh, players-only practices, like the ones out west or the ones here locally in Massachusetts, a lot of people, a lot of trainers – those types of people hyping up Christian Wilkerson. And sometimes you don't look too much into those things and you say, Oh, you know, they're just hyping up their guy and they're just trying to get him out there in the media. But he's really lived up to the things that I was hearing about him over the summer was that this was a guy that was coming, a guy that was playing well in the practice squad last year and is now playing well in training camp. So We'll see if he can keep it up once the pads come on. But uh, he also had a pretty good camp from what I recall down in Tennessee. Uh, they, yeah. they were pretty surprised or, that he got cut. And it wasn't really a surprise. It was just that they had so they have a very, very deep wide receiver group, not so much anymore. But last year they had Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, Adam Humphreys. You know, they, they had a deep group. So it, it wasn't necessarily that Christian Wilkerson didn't deserve a spot. They just didn't have a spot for him. Up here, they, they definitely have a spot for him. Right. If he continues right. to play like this, then I think he's going to make the team. But what does this mean? I, I saw this in the chat. We, Bill Belichick was asked about this this morning about Nikhil Harry. He actually said some positive things about Nikhil Harry's progress. And uh, we're talking about Wilkerson potentially filling out this depth chart. I think a lot of it d- does depend on if Nikhil Harry is here or not. They're very different types of receivers, but just in terms of sheer bodies and numbers, Nikhil Harry's going to factor in somewhere. I, I thought he had a nice start to camp. He's kind of cooled off a little bit the last couple of days, but what what have you seen out of Nikhil Harry? Cause I, I don't think we've talked about him too much yet. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, with that kind of general assessment, I thought his first day was great. And then he's, you know, sort of leveled off. I, 
Bill's comments and Nikhil's comments too, because he talked about he'd be okay if he ends up a Patriot long term. I think it's in everybody's best interest that he has the most trade value. And the way you do that is you play nice right now. So right. it still feels like, again, I think they have a plan for Christian Wilkerson based on the way he's operated. I don't know that it makes sense to have a plan for him if you plan on keeping Nikhil Harry. Because again, I just don't know how this team keeps six wide receivers. So I, I think everybody's playing nice right now. I think just based on what we've seen so far, the long-term plan is to move on from Nikhil before the season starts. Yeah, it does kind of feel that way. He is not really in the top mix, right? With the top guys, he kind of comes in on that next wave, right? After guys like Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers, and they get they get their reps, you know, it's kind of, then it becomes the Nikhil Harry and, and the Gunnar Olszewski's and Wilkerson gets in there and, and, and Zuber occasionally. Uh, but do you feel, because we were so high on Isaiah Zuber in minicamp, right? We, we, everyone, he had a great minicamp. He really did. Right. He had three really good days of practice. This could change, right? This could, we're five days in. So this, yeah. this has plenty of time to change, but I think we are, are clearly in what they're showing us is that Wilkerson is in there right now over Zuber. Uh, but are we completely soured on the Isaiah Zuber? I mean, he did have the nice catch on the deep post route today from Matt. Right. It was against the backup defense, but I don't know. It feels like that whole thing is flip-flop now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, totally writing him off, I think. And I was a big Zuber guy. That was me. Uh, everything I kind of said, that path I laid out for him has happened. It happened with a different guy. It's happening with Christian Wilkerson. Right. But we we haven't seen Christian Wilkerson as a kick return. And that is Zuber's value. And right. it could come down to that. Is Zuber, does Zuber bring more value as a kick returner than Wilkerson does as a coverage guy. So right. that could be the conversation. Or maybe they see Isaiah Zuber as a running back, as kind of that Ty Montgomery type. Yeah. Right? Well, I've and always used the Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson. Well, because yeah. he's like, like Cordero Patterson, just like sneaky big guy. Right. Right. So I, I look at like a smaller, shiftier guy. So that's why I go Montgomery, but it works too. Yeah. You know, something probably has to break for things to go that way, whether it's, you know, JJ Taylor, and I don't think JJ Taylor's gotten off to a great start, but whether it's JJ Taylor playing his way off the roster, Brandon Bolden gets hurt. Somebody else gets hurt. Cause again, Bolden's had that great start. I've talked about that. So I don't know what that is, but yeah, if I'm telling you which guy do I think has the better path right now, it's Wilkerson. I like Wilkerson's chances a lot more based on the first week, but I'm not going to write Zuber off. And I, even if he doesn't make it, he's just, kind of a unique player and i do think they try to get him back on the practice squad if they can i don't think they're one bad camp i don't think they'd be done with him entirely but there's just going to be such a roster crunch at wide receiver they're going to have to get creative if they want to keep him. right i mean you don't keep a player on the team i mean i know people are going to say well they're kind of keeping gunner on the team for returns but i don't know if you keep a player on the team if you're already keeping gunner on the team just to return punts like you can't keep a just a primary guy to return kickoffs but that right. is something that I have noticed. And, and Belichick in the past has just thrown Brandon Bolden back there or something like that and just gone for ball security, right? And right. just don't mess it up. But in terms of trying to be explosive off the kick returns, J.J. Taylor, especially as a punt returner, has really struggled in practice. He's muffed a ton of punts. Now, kick returns and kickoffs are definitely a little bit different, right? It's a different t- type of skill to field a kickoff. Yeah than it is a punt return or a punt, I should say. But at the same time, I, I don't know if J, I kind of thought that maybe JJ Taylor could do that and be that sort of kick return, uh, explosive kick return option, kind of like what Deion Lewis was like when he was here. I'm not sure if I trust JJ Taylor based off of what I've seen to get back there. So if they're looking for an explosive kickoff returner, it's definitely Bolden can go back there and feel the ball and not fumble. Right. I mean, he can do that. But if they're truly looking for an explosive guy back there, then Zuber seems to be the best option. I I know that there's like some underground love for Marvin Hall. I I don't think Marvin Hall is making this team, but he's been back there at at times as well. But I I really think it's going to be. do we feel, I guess, is the last question we can answer here about the wide receivers, and then we can move over to the offense or defense, excuse me, is. is it is there a chance that there's six wide receivers that they keep on this team, right? I mean, it, it, you have the top three, then you have Nikhil Harry, then you have Gunner, and then Wilkerson or Zuber could still make the team as that sixth guy, or, or do we feel like that's too many? 
it might be. So it comes down to, and I was, before you brought this up, I was going to say this, because when you were talking about Zuber versus Wilkerson, some of it, a lot of it hinges on how Gunner looks as a receiver. And we haven't seen him a ton. He's made a couple nice catches. I don't think he's been bad as a receiver, but I haven't necessarily seen development from last year. But if they can trust Gunner as a receiver to be a guy that they can target 30, 35, 40 mm-hmm. times throughout the season, right? Well, then a guy like Christian Wilkerson maybe loses some value. Because, okay, we have a legitimate fourth wide receiver and gunner. We can angle a little more towards special teams needs here. And then that like a return need. And then that's Isaiah Zuber. Whereas if you go in and you look at gunner and you say, okay, he's our punt returner. We'll throw him out there on offense if we have to. Now you're looking at that last wide receiver spot and saying, well, you real that that's really your fourth wide receiver. The guy right. might in theory be below Gunner on the depth chart, but you you want Gunner to just be your punt returner. So then that angles a guy who's more polished as a traditional receiver. That would be Christian Wilkerson, Nikhil Harry. If you want to get into Marvin Hall, that's probably where you'd go there. So a lot and, and again, do they keep six? Not if Gunner, uh, not if Gunner's gonna be legit. If right. Gunner's going to be a guy who you can target 40 times. There's no reason to keep six receivers. You're only using two at a time. If Gunner's just a punt returner, you, you got to flip it back around again and okay, say, okay, well, you know, is he closer to Matthew Slater than he is a real receiver? And if that's the case, then Gunner, you know, internally doesn't count against that total. And then that maybe opens the door for Zuber and Wilkerson or, you know, Harry and Zuber, Harry Wilkerson, whatever combination you want it to be. Yeah, I think Gunner had it was maybe on day two. He had a nice catch from Cam on a crossing route in, in red zone work, but he's been relatively quiet, I would say, as a yeah. receiver. De- not definitely, bad, just not great. Yeah, he definitely hasn't caught a ton of balls yet in practice. Uh, one guy I just want to quickly mention that has that caught a ton of balls today with Jacoby Myers, and uh, I feel like. And I understand. We we want to talk about the new guys, right? We want to talk about the new guys. The sleepers like Wilkerson are more fun to talk about as well. But Aguilar, Bourne, how are those guys playing? How are the tight ends playing? That that's that's the 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 hot button topic right now. Jacoby Myers just goes out there and practice and gets open every single day. Like quietly right. just goes about his business and just gets open every single day. He got six balls today in practice during team drills. I mean, he is the best route runner on the team still, I think. He's not the most explosive or the most dynamic route runner. I guess Kendrick Bourne kind of gives him a run for his money now in terms of pure route running ability. But I I still think I'd give it to Jacoby. I I still think he's going to have a big year. I think having Nelson Aguilar on the outside to give him some speed element is really going to open up the middle of the field for him. Uh, He had a great day out there today, and and poor Jalen Mills had some tough times uh, covering him inside. Well, what's interesting about Jacoby is – Jacoby was so so Aguilar had the first day, Bourne had either the second or the third day, and then yeah. Aguilar had the others. But Jacoby was probably the second best receiver all of those days. Right. He didn't have a bad day. We were just waiting for the, the Jacoby day, the breakthrough. Right. Day. And then he had that today. And that's going to be fascinating because again, that 12 personnel, you're really only going to use two receivers most of the time. All three guys will play, but you're only going to use two most of the time. And there's going to have to be an odd man out. And they are going to make it that group, that trio of Aguilar, Bourne, and Myers. And I know you're hesitant to make Aguilar the odd man out. I think it, it might be a little more realistic than we realize. Yeah. Not the way he's performed, but just the overall picture. They are making it really tough to figure out who the odd man out is in that group because all three have been outstanding to start. Yeah, that's a good thing. Right, That's a good problem yeah. to have. Oh, great and- problem to have. Yeah, not a bad thing at all. I just, I really hope that Josh McDaniels gets real creative and runs that five, that group of five out there of Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, Johnu, and Hunter Henry, right? And you can use Johnu as sort of a tailback, H-back type to have some sort of backfield threat, and, and maybe even hand the, him the ball off, uh, the, hand the ball off, excuse me, to Johnu a little bit just to give that as a threat. If you want to have the defense respect the run when you put that package out there, but that package, and not to take James White off the field who's obviously great too but that package on third and six it gives the Patriots so many more options than they've had the last two years right I mean just a a, a really a a good kind of option to have is is that package and I I hope that we see that out there at some time I'm sure it's not going to be all the time but maybe just a little bit Uh, really quickly Somebody mentioned Trey Nixon's name. A couple of people asking how Trey Nixon has played. I know everybody, uh, the Ernie Adams thing has people wanting to hear about Trey Nixon. So, 
Yes, he did have three catches today in team drills. It does look like he has a little bit of a rapport with Mac Jones, uh, two rookies that I'm sure studied together and work a lot together and were together a lot during the rookie part of the offseason. So I, I don't know if Trey Dixon is going to make this team. I think Christian Wilkerson and Zuber are pretty steadily ahead of him. But you had mentioned, Alex, uh, them keeping him on the practice squad as sort of developmental long-term plan there at that receiver spot. I definitely see that happening if they can sneak him back on the practice squad. Yeah, I, you know, he's probably just a guy that needs some polish. He was hurt most of the year last year. And right. you can tell he's still kind of getting his footing under him. So I yeah. like him. I like the pick. I think, you know, he, he adds a dynamic, but I just, we just talked about how deep the wide receiver position is. We didn't even mention him. So he's a guy, if they can get him on the practice squad or maybe, you know, the last preseason game, he pulls up with a hammy and we don't see him for a year. So yeah, we'll see how it works out with him. Yeah. And, and, and you do, you don't hope that anybody gets hurt, but you do hope that he can make it back to the practice squad, right? Because right. I have a feeling, especially if he gets reps, live reps with Mac Jones in some of these preseason games, that him and Mac are going to put on, you get third and fourth string defensive backs out there against Mac Jones, that, that he could pop in some of these preseason yeah. games, Trey Nixon as, as one of Mac's go-to receivers when he's out there with some of the backups. So I, I think that is an element of this that you have to think about, and that's why we always joke about the Patriots, kind of the Foxborough flu, right? Getting guys right. on IR that... Right. So to avoid them getting poached by other teams, that definitely does kind of feel like that because Trey Nixon's going to have 100 receiving yards in the preseason game one of these days with Mac Jones throwing him the football in the third quarter against some four-string cornerback, right? You know, that I feel like that's destined to happen. All right, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball and uh, talk about a guy that Alex told us on day one was having a nice start to camp and he's had a nice start to camp. I told you before day one, I told you when they signed him that this was the guy. It was a good signing. And this morning, Bill Belichick was very complimentary of Raekwon McMillan, saying that he's really picked up the defense very quickly. McMillan credited Kyle Van Noy after practice was sort of putting the pieces together with him and, and kind of helping him study up the playbook, which I thought was really an uh, interesting soundbite. But McMillan today, two pass breakups uh, in the, around the ball a lot. That inside linebacker position. Uh, Got to give Juwan Bentley credit. He did have a pick of Cam Newton in seven nice interception too. Yeah, I, it wasn't like a bad throw by Newton. That no. was an athletic. No, he too. went up and got it. Uh, Cam, he fell underneath a dig route by Jacoby Myers. Cam thought he could get it over him, and he couldn't. Really nice play by Juwan Bentley. This McMillan versus Juwan Bentley battle for that backup Mike linebacker spot, or even the fourth inside, you know, the second inside linebacker spot in some packages next to Dante Hightower, you know, first and 10, the Patriots want to come out in base defense. You could see Hightower, Bentley, Hightower, McMillan, being the two inside backers, uh, those guys are definitely in a battle right now for maybe not a roster spot. Maybe they both end up making the roster. Maybe not. Maybe they are in the battle for a roster spot or at least just playing time at the very least, right? Well, so it's going to get even more interesting. And I was talking to Bob Sosi a lot about this today when we were at practice. So Hightower is your Mike linebacker. He might move to the edge sometimes, but, you know, there he's secure. Then you have Juwan Bentley, who's a good player, but – is on the last year of his deal, not a guy they project to resign. It feels like one of those things, yeah. Right. He could, if some of the guys below him show up, like really show up, he could potentially become tradable. Then you have McMillan, and then you have Therese Hall, who's yeah. on PUP. And assuming he comes back, you're going to have Juwan Bentley, who's your 360-pound, straight-ahead, downhill, run-stopping linebacker. You have Therese Hall, who, not small, but smaller, very much an east-west guy, quicker yeah, athletic, athletic linebacker. Yeah. And then Raekwon McMillan is kind of like somewhere in between, like right in between those two, where I think they actually go weight 260, 240, 220. Uh, but, you know, McMillan's somebody who can definitely play the run and all of that, but he's going to give you some lateral movement too. So in a perfect world, they keep all those guys. Maybe Hall stays on PUP and they see if they need him down the road, but – McMillan's making it really tough because yeah, he's been great. And it's not just that he's out there making athletic plays. You can see him as a communicator. And he talked about, this yeah. today. you can, you can see him communicating. You can see the understanding of the defense kind of play out. He's been a mental part of it. And by the way, young guy 
Hightower, we know there were retirement rumors this offseason. He's in the last year of his deal. I look at him more so if we're talking about, even if it's two or three years, you're going to have to replace Dante Hightower. I look at him more so as the prototype of the guy for that role than a guy like Juwan Bentley. So there's just a lot, short-term and long-term, that's intriguing about Raekwon McMillan. Him backing that up on the field has been great, and he is going to make it based, and he's a linebacker. So we got to throw the no pads on caveat on this, but if he keeps this up, I I don't see how they can cut him. Every single Belichickism about what guys need to do to make the team, he's playing a ton on special teams. Like that all leans his way. So he's off to a, a terrific start. I said before, I don't think any bubble guy coming in positioned himself better for a roster spot than Christian Wilkerson through this first week. McMillan's 1A. He's yeah. close in, in that sense. Yeah, it's definitely, when you look at it, you say, you know, we've talked about this with McMillan in the past. Failed second round pick at his last stop because of injuries. Maybe the scheme didn't fit him. Belichick sees that if I use him this way and I use him in that role, he's going to play a lot better in my system or, or be a good player in my system. And that that always seems, the Patriots always seem to find these types of guys, right? That, were, that have the talent, that have the athleticism to play in the NFL, that were high draft picks, second, first round picks. And they take them and they say, you were in the wrong spot here. We're going to put you in the right spot there. And, you know, here we go, right? And Kyle Van Noy is a perfect example from a linebacker perspective of somebody that in Detroit really struggled in that role that they had him playing in. He comes here and he has a great season, a great couple of seasons. Now he's back. You know, these are things that happen all the time with the Patriots because Bill Belichick has a great eye for being able to only ask a player to do what he's good at. Right. And kind of limit the amount of times that the player is going to do something that he's not so good at. So he knows that Rick Wacom McMillan can hit. He can hit in the open field, but he's not necessarily, like you said, that 260 pound linebacker that's going to come up and step in a gap and and take on an offensive lineman. Right. You might not want him doing something like that. So he's going to allow him to stay in space and and allow him to cover and allow him to do things off the line of scrimmage. And, And that's, I think, a lot more what. Rayquan McMillan wants to be doing, and he kind of understands that that's his fit. So I, I think that that's really bodes well for him. You mentioned the special teams value, the kicking game value. That's, I think this is a guy in Rayquan McMillan, and he he was in Miami, if uh, memory serves me correctly, I think a four- or five-unit player for them on special well, teams. Last year in Vegas, he he didn't play defense in Vegas last year. He only played special teams. Right. Weird, but yeah, no, he's I mean, he's a guy with an extensive special teams history. Yeah, so that if you're, you know, we talked about this last year with Brandon Copeland, like that felt like the signing that was going to be that that you know depth linebacker, fourth or fifth linebacker slash special teams ace, right? And, and I think that McMillan is going to be that type of player for the Patriots this year as well. And that they always have a spot for a player like that, right? You're going to be right. a backup, Mike, and you're going to play in the kicking game. We, we got a spot for you that if that's going to be what they're going to do. And, and they always really cater to those types of linebacker sized players that can run, that can play in space, that can make tackles. That, that obviously bodes well for special teams so covering covering picks yeah and the difference here because you you brought up copeland and it's not you know not a bad name to bring up but the brandon copeland was 29 when they signed him raekwon mcmillan is 25 so you do have that short-term special teams potential but i you know i don't think it's unrealistic to think you could see some development from raekwon mcmillan and see him develop as a player the other interesting thing you know you talked about them finding these guys who are maybe misused elsewhere and mcmillan talked about this today he overlapped with Brian Flores in Miami. I believe it was for only one year. It was uh, in 2019. And then he went to Vegas last year, but he said he kind of already understood the system and he, he, you know, knew the, 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 the bare bones of it, the nuts and bolts of it from yeah. being in Miami with Flores. And on the flip side, the Patriots got to evaluate him in their system, essentially in a system very similar right. to theirs. So, you know, you can't help but think they have a very good read on what this guy can be when they brought him in. They, they, they must have had an idea, a plan when they brought him in. 
Yeah, same with Matt Judon, which Belichick talked about this morning. And we're going to talk about this in a second, just what we're looking forward to and what we're going to be have our eye on once the pads go on tomorrow for the first time. But Belichick spoke this morning about Matt Judon and said basically everything that we're going to ask him to do here, he was already doing in Baltimore. We might call it something a little bit different or we might have a little bit of different terminology than what they did. But he was asked to do the same you know, techniques and the same things. Right that we're going to do here, set the edge, operate in a pass rush package, you know, all these things that Matt Judon did with Baltimore translate directly to what they do with the Patriots. So that's why they gave him so much money. And that's why they feel like he can hit the ground running. So a lot of these free agent signings that, as you would expect, this was not, we talked about this when they did it. This was not a spending just to spend instance, right? This was a calculated spending spree where we got guys in here. Patriots did that, fit what they wanted to do right and and i think that that's really important now uh, the last few minutes here alex i want to discuss uh what we're looking forward to tomorrow and the rest of the week once the pads officially go on as you mentioned earlier in the show this is this is real football right this is where the real football begins and this is for the coaching staff they've maybe been making some evaluations mentally about things but this is truly when the evaluation and the competition part of training camp begins we haven't really said much of anything about the defensive and offensive linemen so i think that that's an easy place to start that this is really where that evaluation is going to begin but what else are you looking forward to uh, first off, happy birthday, Luke. Um, I looking, you know, we talked about Rashad Barry yesterday. He got off to that hot start, had four sacks. Yeah, got the pads on. Can he keep it up? It's weird because a lot of the guys I was looking forward to seeing when it comes to you know the front are on PUP. Chase Winovich, Therese Hall. Um, right. I guess you know seeing kind of the guys that, that that started hot. Can they keep it up? We talked about how Devon Godshaw has been an absolute menace at the line of scrimmage when it comes to batting down passes. Can he keep doing that? Josh Uche is maybe cooled down a little bit after a great spring, but I don't want to hold it against him because there's no pad. So can he kind of pick up where he was? Uh, Just kind of carrying storylines over. I don't know that there's anything super new. Oh, uh, William Sherman, the rookie, the rookie they drafted who was trying to be a five position player. I'm interested to see if he can do that. He's been playing a lot of guard. He was a tackle in college. He supposedly worked out at center in the offseason in anticipation of the draft. I don't think, I mean, if you've seen him play center, I haven't noticed him playing any center. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe no. they're just waiting for the pads to come on to do that. So I think he's an interesting player. Right. And we don't have Ted Karras out there right now. I don't know if right. Ted Karras is going to be back out there any, anytime soon. It was reported that it wasn't major, but for the time being, sort of looking at that interior offensive line depth is interesting because they did lose a guy in Joe Tooney off the starting lineup. So now on when he's the starter, which is perfectly fine. But if Ted Karras is injured for any period of time, the depth there, we can evaluate that a little bit, whether it's Will Sherman. Uh, Marcus Martin got a lot of snaps yeah. at center today with Ted Karras out. You know, Some of these players that can work in there will be interesting. The, I think the whole offensive line is very interesting, but the defensive line is I want to see how good this unit is going to be because I think it's got a chance to be a lot better than it was a year ago. And we really haven't gotten to see Matt Judon in his element. We really haven't gotten to see uh, Devon Godshaw, as you mentioned, really truly in his element, right? Where we're stopping the run, we're hitting people, we're setting the edge, we're playing nose tackle and and taking up blockers. This is when that all really begins. And then also, lastly, on the defensive line, Dietrich Weiss. Well, what what's the deal with him, right? What they gave him this right. huge contract. What's the plan? Uh, is has he progressed and has he taken a step that maybe we haven't necessarily seen? I thought he had a good year last year. Four years, twenty two million, with two ga- years basically guaranteed. That, that's a lot, right, for a guy that of that that played the way he has played at times against the run. So I'm very interested to see him. Obviously Christian Barmore is going to be in the yeah. mix there on the defensive line too. So a lot of storylines, I feel like, because I think the offensive line, the starting five is pretty much set and unless there's an injury, right? So yeah. the defensive line is really where I think there are a little bit more battles going on, if you will. Yeah, I'll add one more thing, because you talked about looking at the week as a whole, and some people brought this up in the chat. Yeah. Because Nick Folk didn't have a great day. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do you want to – do you have any more line thoughts, or do you want to go? Uh, That's a good question. Um, 
No, I, I also am interested just really quickly, and then we can talk about the yeah. kickers because I wanted to bring that up. You wanted to bring the kickers up. I did. I'm rubbing off. I, I, I noticed that with Nick Folk had a rough day out there today. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to this. All right. So the one other thing I wanted to mention is something that I've been kind of monitoring is the run game install for the Patriots. Offense, not defense, yeah. offense. And with Cam Newton out there, and today we saw it a little bit when they kind of split the two quarterbacks up, Cam Newton is going to run a much different run game package than Mac Jones. Mac Jones is going to be under center. He's going to be turning around and handing the ball off. That's the Mac Jones run game package, right? A lot like what we saw with Brady. Cam Newton runs an entire different run game package. And are we going to see a little, it spiced up a little bit more than it was last year. Are we going to see some different wrinkles? How much has Josh McDaniels been in the lab cooking up things for Cam? Right. Because we know he's been working with Mac and we know that he's been thinking about Mac as the future. But if Cam is the now still, then how much have has he learned? How much has he taken from other teams that have mobile quarterbacks? Or are we going to get last year? Quite frankly, their run game package with Cam was pretty uh, elementary. Right. Like there are high school teams in the in the United States that run power read like this is not this is not groundbreaking. Right. This is not complex. So. Where can they take that next step with that run game package? We haven't really been able to evaluate that much without the pads. Now we're going to kind of see more of the run game now. And I'm very interested to see how much of that they really get into, how they split it up with Cam and Mac, because they're going to be running very different style of run games. And like I said, are they, is Josh McDaniels watching some Baltimore tape? Is he watching some Arizona tape? You know, where, where is he going to try to get some ideas? Maybe he went to the college ranks and got some more ideas from the, from the uh, FBS, you know, wherever it is. Right. right? I, I just want to see if they are a little bit more, uh, if they went deeper into that well. Yeah, I, and just one more thing on the run game. Uh, I'm excited for Ram- to see Ramondre Stevenson, and he's yeah. actually gotten off to a nice start. But I, I don't think the Patriots have had a running back like him in quite a while. I don't think people realize how unique his skill set compared to you know his physical traits are, and I, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. All right, let's talk about the kickers. Yep. It was a rough day for Nick Folk today. He was coming up short on some kicks, I think around the 45, 50 yard range. Uh, he missed a kick in uh, from close range that when they were kicking off to the side, it, it definitely was not his best day. Now it's one day. Obviously we're not going to react overreact to one day. And I think a lot of these things will sort of see more of once the games actually begin. And once we actually get into some preseason games, but to credit Quinn Nordine, the guy's got an absolute cannon, right? He's got a huge yeah. leg. I mean, there are times where he's clearing like the whole practice field, right? With some of these kicks that he's kicking through the, uh, whether they're through the uprights or not, or sometimes difficult to tell from our vantage point how good the kicks actually were. But you can see the leg. It's a huge leg. I don't know if he's done enough by any means in five days to take Nick Folk's job, but it it is an interesting storyline to monitor. Yeah, it's, so it's tough because from where we're sitting, it, it's really hard to evaluate the kickers. And that's why, yeah. you know, and with Folk too, with the rough day, I mean, he was great last year. He was one of the best kickers in football last year. He missed just once after week three, but kicking is a, a fickle business and yeah. it can come and go like that. And I, you know, I think the Patriots would love to have the long-term answer. I think in a perfect world, Nordine is a guy, like we talked about Trey Nixon, you stash, you work on his accuracy, and next year he becomes the guy just because, you know, it, it, there is still some work to do when Falk was so good last right. year. But you see Falk struggling a little bit, and we don't have the best view on it. So I'm really excited for Friday because Friday will be the first of the two in-stadium practices. They're doing two this year instead of one. Right. And Bill Belichick always talks about how important those practices are for the special teamers. It, it, mainly the returners because they get used to the sight lines, but we as media get our best look at the kickers and punters during that practice. And they're going to kick a lot during that practice. So I, I think Friday is going to be very telling. Let's see how Nick Folk and Quinn Nordine both look on Friday, because that's maybe when we can start having this conversation. And the other thing is we talked about, and we talked about it a little earlier in the show. We talked about it a ton leading up to camp that kick return is, is kind of an open job. It's anybody's to take. Gunner wasn't, didn't excel at it last year, as good as a punt returner he was. They need a kick returner. They are definitely going to do return work on Friday. 
and we're going to get a really good look at kind of where that group stands. So Friday is going to be exciting because we're going to get to answer a lot of these special teams questions that yeah, due to the setting at camp are a little bit harder to answer. Right. And the special teams for people that might be attending practice on Friday night, it's always a very special teams heavy practice, right? It doesn't, you don't get a ton of actual football in those practices. Oh, okay. Hang on. Like special teams isn't actual football. Well, you know what I mean. I thought, no, I don't know what you mean. I thought after us working together for three years, you'd know better than to say something. All right. All right. I'll take it back. We don't get a ton of 11 on 11 team drill. Offense and defense. defense. Yes. During those practices, they are the Patriots. I believe are planning on being three straight days in pad and pads starting tomorrow, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, in all likelihood, Friday is going to be back in shells, and we're not going to be in full pads on Friday, and and that's going to be a little bit more of a a specialty. It's going to be a lot of special yeah. teams. It's going to be a lot yeah. of kicking, and that's going to be good, like you said, because these guys, uh, Nordine and Folk in the stadium, kicking in the stadium where they can kind of simulate a game a little bit with fans in the stands, right? With, with, with the right. season ticket holders in there. It, it's not obviously a full game situation with all the pressures of a game and all that kind of stuff, but it's the closest thing that we might be able to get to that. So I, I think that is going to be interesting for sure, because they, they're probably going to do that situation. They've done it a bunch already out of training camp and I'm sure they'll do it in the stadium where they say, Oh, okay. You know, it's, it's third and eight on our 40. We have to get five yards, get off the field and kick the winning game winning field goal. Right. We got to do it all in one, in one sequence. Right. And that's going to be interesting to see because that that's the most pressure simulation they can do. I would say is to put that on, on the, uh, the kickers. So yeah, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with the kickers. I, like I said, I, I, I haven't seen anything from folk, not that I've been studying them extra closely, but I haven't seen anything with folk to be like, he's not, you know, Quinn Nordine is going to take his job it, this year. It's just tough to see it from where we are. And that's why on Friday we get a different vantage point, right? So we're, yeah. if you've never been to practice, we're kind of like offset from where they kick. So we're directly behind one field. They're kicking right. on the field adjacent from it. It's just a really tough angle. And we're like up a hill. We'll be up in, I, I believe actually, I don't know if it's going to be different this year because of COVID, but we should be up in the press box on Friday. You also have the Jumbotron, yeah. you have the video going. So you get much more, it's just a much better observation point to judge the kickers. Right. All right. Well, uh, really quickly, NBA free agency is beginning, Alex. And uh, Lonzo Ball just signed with the Chicago Bulls. So oh, you see, ooh. Lonzo Ball signed with the Rockets. Lonzo Ball not coming to Boston. I was kind of hoping that Lonzo was going to come to Boston. I'm a little disappointed about that. I'll probably save Marcus Smart. Um, I actually, uh, uh, Jaron May from 98.5 The Sports, I wrote a good piece this afternoon that the Celtics may just want to stand pat. And I know that that uh, may nauseate a lot of Celtics fans and probably rightfully so. But, nope. you know, especially now that they – Especially now that they lost out on Lonzo, you have, you know, are you going to sign Patty Mills for big money to do a multi-year deal? Are you going to sign, you know, who are some of these other names? Uh, Jeff Green, right? Whatever. And it's like, you're just going to blow all your money signing these guys who don't put you over the top. You're just, that's just Kemba Walker again. That's just Gordon Hayward again. You're overpaying guys because they're names and you're not looking at the big picture. If they can just stand pat, sign some one-year deals. Isaiah Thomas has been up there, which has been out there, which would be awesome. I think would be yeah. perfect. Sign him to a one-year deal. You put juice on this season. You have no long-term commitment. Tatum, Brown, and Horford are the only three guys they have signed beyond this year. And then I think there's some guys with rookie options. But those are the only three guys they have money committed to beyond this year. They're going to have a max slot in the summer of 2022. That's a great free agency summer, Bradley Beal, perhaps Kawhi Leonard. And I know that, you know, this gives Celtics fans flashbacks. Oh, we've waited for the free agents before. It's not a great plan. It's a better plan than Patty Mills. It's a better plan than going for mediocrity again. I I think anything short of landing Beal, you got to do everything in your power to land Beal. Anything short of that, even if it means kind of kicking the can down the road, I hate saying that because I've been saying for years the Celtics could, should get more aggressive. This isn't the year to be aggressive. This free agency class sucks. Don't. Commit yourself long-term to anybody. Just try as much as you can 
to get Bradley Beal, especially now that Lonzo's off the table. I like Lonzo. I, the reason why I like Lonzo is because he's a great passer and he's a good defender, right? And and he's not a type of guy like like Marcus Smart. And I think it was Chris Mannix who has the, had the report earlier today that some people, Brad Stevens among them, have definitely soured on Marcus Smart jacking up 20 shots a game, right? Like that that's not... The Celtics know that that's not sustainable for them. If they're going to be where they want to go, Marcus Smart needs to kind of buy into a role. And I've always thought that Marcus Smart was best for the Celtics, even though they play different positions and sort of like a Draymond Green type of role, right? Where where right. you're you're facilitating, you're rebounding, you're playing defense, all these types of things. I thought Alonzo fit that mold a little bit more. He's a great transition player, great passer. I also watched him at UCLA when I lived out in LA, so I'm a little bit a little bit biased when it comes to Lonzo Ball because I, I did see him live when he was in college. But I, I, I thought that would have been a good one. But he's going to Chicago. Go ahead and jump over, and we're done here now. So go ahead and jump over to the Celtics uh, CLNS handle, and they're going to have a free agency special uh, with all the free agent news and how it pertains to the Celtics and everything like that. So go check out their stream right now. They're breaking down NBA free agency over there. Alex and I will be back here on Patriots beat tomorrow night following the first padded practice of the uh, training camp so far for the Patriots. And Alex, I'm jacked up for pads. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, this is this is what it's all about, right? This is when we're really going to get into some of these competitions and really figure out where the roster stands. So we'll be back tomorrow night to break down the first day of full pads. We'll be with you all week through the padded practices as well. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.